This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be morning. So let's start with this. How many people in this room by show of hands have no idea who I am? Raise your hand. That hurts. <laughs> I thought that would be the case. First of all, I've really been enjoying, you know, I'm, an, I'm a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. Obviously, I make content. I write books, but I'm extremely proud that for the last 20 years of my life, from literally the day that I left college to this moment right now, I've been operating a business. And so spending uh, the last kind of week or two looking at this industry and the dynamics was interesting to me because I think context really matters. And I think one of the things that affords me the ability to continue to speak at conferences, which I enjoy so much, so thank you for having me, is that I don't have a canned speech. I have things I believe in, but I think context matters, and I was excited digging into this world because one, as I was digging in, I realized a couple of my friends were in it, so I was able to get under the hood a little bit more, and two, this is a perfect cliche example of an industry, and I know there's multiple parties in the chain in this room, and I'll try to address both or all three, um, where I have empathy to why the majority of people don't think or fully understand what the impact of a Facebook or an Instagram or a Snapchat mean to them in a business world. And as you can imagine, for me, that's super exciting because that means literally all I have to do is over the course of the next hour articulate in business terms uh, and create the emotion to the action of literally just one or two individuals in this entire conference to actually make an impact. I think what's most fascinating for me is industries, you know, look, if you sell sneakers to 20-year-olds, I think it makes sense that Instagram or Facebook matter. When you're in a B2B dynamic and trying to win big accounts or um, trying to become a supplier to a big organization, it becomes less um, obvious. However, and it's funny, I get to see Mickey Cloud here who runs our Chattanooga office. When I looked at him, I'm thinking back to the greatest successes at VaynerMedia over the last six years. And when I think about our biggest financial impact, it has been far more the General Electrics and the SAPs and the B2B businesses than it has been the Budweiser's or the Pepsi's because as a lot of you know, in, when you play B2B, and I'm in the B2B business now, all it takes is one account for it to start getting really interesting. And so, because so many of you don't know who I am, I'm gonna give you a little bit of my origin story because it's gonna give you a lot of ammo to actually make the leap that I hope that you consider. Um, I was born in Belarus in the former Soviet Union. Uh, I came to the US when I was three. We lived a very humble beginning. As you can imagine, the economy wasn't super great. We didn't speak English. We had 100 bucks. Uh, I lived with seven family members in a studio apartment in Queens. Um, so it was super humble. As you, and you know, obviously, my parents are very much my heroes. Uh, one, because my mom is the greatest parent of all time, and two, because my dad worked his face off, and even though I slept under the same roof literally every day of my life with my dad in the first 14 years of my life, I literally never saw him, because he left at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m., and he came home at 10 p.m., and he worked seven days a week. Um, how many people here are immigrants or children of immigrants? Raise your hands. Awesome, so 
this group that just raised their hands, they know that immigrants in America have absolutely figured out one of the core secrets, which is, you know, work your face off and don't buy dumb shit. <laughs> and so, that's kind of what my family did for seven or eight years. You know, we, my dad wasn't making that much money, but a funny thing happens when you buy nothing but food at the lowest possible price. And uh, save, 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 save. And very quickly, only six years after coming to America with 100 bucks, my dad was able to buy a small liquor store in New Jersey. We moved to New Jersey. That is where my entrepreneurial career began. Uh, when I was six, I had a five lemonade stand franchise. I uh, manipulated my friends into standing behind the lemonade all day. And that is when I became obsessed with attention. And this is really interesting, as you can see up here, I day trade attention, culture, and build businesses. At six years old, I would spend my summer days literally walking up and down the streets of New Jersey, sitting down on the curb, watching cars drive by so that I could figure out which tree or post was better for me to put a sign that said lemonade a quarter. That is DNA. That's like somebody singing, that's like somebody throwing a pitch really, like that is just pure DNA. I didn't read a Seth Godin book or go to Harvard Business School to figure out that attention was the number one asset. The one thing that combines every person here, from the cameramen back there who are producing to the industry that is in this room, to me, to Mickey, to anybody else that sneaked in, the one thing that fundamentally connects all of us is before you tell me how great your product and service is, you need my attention so that I listen. I am obsessed with attention. I am obsessed with this device because it has the attention. I am unemotional if it's ruining the kids and they don't know how to engage or that you are sad that people go out to dinner and don't talk to each other. Technology does not care about your feelings. And so I, as a human, may have some opinions about parenthood and, and society and privacy as a human, but as a businessman, I am unemotional and not romantic. All I do is follow where the attention is and I figure out how to storytell in there to create the action that I desire whether that is to sell a pair of sneakers or a book or my agency, or whether that's to raise money for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation because my brother has it, or get my friend elected mayor. It is completely arbitrary, but there is one religion. Where is the attention of our consumer? And I think the thing, the delta, the most important and exciting thing for me in this room today is yes, there is some attention, of course, at a conference if you set up a booth, and yes, there is intention if you spam everybody 24 hours a day on LinkedIn or cold call or decide to buy a full page ad in the business to business magazine that four people open. Yes, there is some attention, but in 2018, if you do not realize that that is overpriced attention, then you are vulnerable for the growth of your business. I spend all my time thinking about overpriced and underpriced attention and what's happening in culture. I navigated from my lemonade stand to baseball cards because I'm 42 and in 1987, 89 to 1990, baseball cards was the culture. Every kid was buying them and that was my life. I was really an un unusual Eastern European immigrant that came during that time. Every one of my friends 
uh, every one of my parents' friends' kids were straight-A students because education was the way out. If you go to Instagram literally right now and look at my account, Gary VEE, two posts ago, I posted my high school report card because nobody believes me, uh, but I was a straight DNF student. Um, somewhere around fourth grade, I realized that Saturn was not going to impact my life and I didn't care about it. And so, <laughs> self-awareness is a son of a bitch. You know, and, 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 and honestly, besides health, for everybody in this room, I wish you self-awareness because once you understand who you are, you can do a lot of damage. All of us suck at a lot of stuff. All of us are good at a lot of stuff. The game is to figure that out. I through good parenting, through circumstance, through who knows really what, got very self-aware very early in my life. And listen, at 13, you know, listen, it was tough for my friends' parents to say I was a loser because I got these and Fs. It wasn't fun for my teachers to say that I wasn't gonna amount to anything. Here was my biggest problem. I was 13 years old. I was making $3,000 a weekend selling baseball cards. I had $47,000 in cash under my bed and I wasn't selling weed. I thought I was amazing. <laughs> so. I turned 14 and then my dad ruined my life. I'm oldest son, first generation, born in the old country, that means one thing. 14th birthday, all weekends and summer vacations are eliminated, I go work in the liquor store, 12 hours a day, bagging ice, two bucks an hour, I go from making $3,000 a weekend, being the king, to making $24 a weekend. My dad is born in the Soviet Union, which means that he hates his employees. <laughs> which meant the four foot 11 me going into that environment was really bad for me because they hated him back. And so it was, you know, those two years, literally every weekend, every summer vacation, my leisure, my childhood ended in eighth grade. I kind of had my friends, but I just never saw them uh, outside of school. And so I was old school, right? I was much more of a merchant's son from the 50s and 40s and 60s, just happened to be growing up in the 80s and 90s. Um, and so for two years, I was stuck in the basement. I call those the dark years. Um, and then finally, uh, my junior year of high school, when I turned 17, I was allowed to come upstairs. Um, and then my life really took a big change. I realized that people collected wine. And because I was so into collecting baseball cards and those things, that became the passion connector for me. And basically, going, I went from reading the Beckett baseball card guide in school 24 hours a day to reading the Wine Spectator in school 24 hours a day. And at eight, you know, 17, 18, I decided, you know, it was, first of all, it was fun to get to know my dad, even though he was rough. You know, it was fun. And two, it was the family business. I decided I was going to go into it. And in 1993, 1994, I thought I would open up I used to have it in my mind as I'll open up 1,800 of these, I will build the Toys R Us of wine, I will sell the franchise one day, buy the New York Jets, win some Super Bowls, call it a day. So that was, that was basically the plan at 17 and basically the Jets part is still in play, everything else has evolved. Um, so I, you know, I was a terrible student, I thought I wasn't gonna to go to college. Another thing some of the kids of immigrants in here know is that your parents don't know stuff. So my mom came to me February of my senior year, literally 90 days before we graduate, and says to me, so what are you doing about college? 
And I laughed and I said, mom, what are you talking about? Like, we missed it. Like, I didn't take my SATs, I didn't apply for school. I have to go to work in the business. I knew my mom would be embarrassed if I went to a community college. So I knew that was her kryptonite. So I was super pumped. I thought I figured it all out. Some of you may have a Soviet mother. She looked me dead in the face and she said, you better figure it out or I'm gonna punch you in the face until you bleed. So, <laughs> so as fate would have it, this is literally how I went to college. I think this is gonna be interesting to you. Literally the next day, I get a postcard in the mail. In the mail, a postcard. Like, we got mail. I went to go get the mail. There's a postcard from Mount Ida College. Literally, I filled out my name and my address. I sent it in and that's how I went to college. So this is the college I went to, just so everybody's grounded. I'm in my dorm room freshman year. I'm playing Madden 94, dominating by the way. And, and my friend runs in, he goes, you have to come and see this. I finish off my game, I go in, and I see seven guys standing around a computer. This is 1994, I had been on a computer for maybe 15 hours in my life because I failed typing class in computers, so I never did it. I had a word processor that I was supposed to use, I never did. And I'm looking at this computer, and it was the first time I heard cuckooch, that whole thing. And for, there's, you know, looking around, there's not that many youngsters. How many people here do not remember the world pre-internet, raise your hand. You're that young, not that you have a bad memory, you're just under 30, raise your hands. Okay, good, not many. So for everybody else, we actually remember the world pre-internet, which is crazy if you think about it now, but we lived it. And so, uh, you know, the first time I saw the internet, I literally sat there for four hours watching other people go on it because it was so crazy. A couple other things that were crazy for the three youngsters. It was $2.99 an hour from AOL, and, or a minute, I don't remember, it was, I don't know, all I remember is that like, it was like $8,000 a month and I was like, I thought it was a good deal. And um, <laughs> 17 minutes after I was on the internet, I found, my, after waiting for four hours to go on it at like two o'clock in the morning, I found myself on an AOL bulletin board where people sold baseball cards. That was the moment that I realized I wasn't gonna open up 1,800 liquor stores. 15 months later, I launched one of the first three e-commerce wine businesses in America called winelibrary.com. 18 months later, I took over my dad's business. Here's where it starts to matter for you. Because I believe in following where the attention is, not where you think the attention is or how you became successful in the past, I was able to grow my dad's business that was doing $3 million a year on 10% gross profit. So 300,000 before expenses. My first year marketing budget was $14,000 for the year. In a five year window from 1998 to 2003, on that, without raising capital, without getting a credit line, on that financial situation, I built my dad's business from a three to a $60 million a year business. I did it because of timing. I did it because email had launched and I thought it was a good idea to email you wine offers instead of sending you postcards that cost me a lot of money. I did it because Google AdWords had come out and I thought it was a good idea to buy the word wine for five cents a click before anybody knew what it was. My entire career, what, what allows me to be here today, what allows me to dream and be audacious about owning a professional football team is very simple. I chase underpriced attention. 
I chase properly priced attention and I completely punt overpriced attention. Simple. I know that everybody in this room does things for eight to 10 hours a day, every day of the day, of the week, the month, the year, on things that no longer bring as much value as it did six, nine, 14 years ago that helped you get to this point. I know that there's somebody in this room that if they started a B2B podcast, I know that if somebody in this room who had never thought about producing content or media, if they started a podcast, which they don't even have the beginnings of a thought of how to do that right now, but the good news is you literally go to Google and you type in, how do I start a podcast? I know that if somebody here started a podcast for this industry and put out an episode every week and interviewed a thought leader in this industry that even though only 700 to 1500 people would listen to it because it's obviously very niche in its content that it would be the differentiator of growing their business, that it would lead to lead gen, that there are people that they're trying to chase to get the account that in turn a year later would be chasing them to be a guest on the show, which then would inevitably lead to them getting the business. My friends, please understand over the next period of time as I talk to you about some of these nuances that I am not a technologist, that had I not been in business that I wouldn't want to have necessarily an Instagram or Snapchat or LinkedIn account. It doesn't come natural to me. It's not necessarily what I want. What I want is to sell stuff. What I want is to run a successful business. What I want is to win. And to me, if you sit in this room and you do not realize how extreme the internet technology revolution actually is, you become vulnerable. If you do not understand that bookstores just happen to be first, that limo services just happen to be next, if you do not understand that everybody in this room is vulnerable to technology advances, and that you either jump on a surfboard and ride this wave, or you face the idea of looking at this wave coming at you and dealing with the ramifications. To me, this is not about necessarily even when I paint that analogy, the idea that you're gonna go out of business, to me, my biggest fear is people, actually, how many people grew in the last year? Your business has grown in 2017 compared to 2016. Raise your hands. Raise them high, be proud, it's awesome. Let's actually clap it up for this room, that's awesome. One, one more time for me, because I want context. Raise it high, how many people grew from 16 to 17? So I'll be honest with you, that's my biggest concern. When I see a room of 70 or 80% of the room growing, that's usually the biggest challenge for my passions and ambition. Winning in the micro is usually a tell to complacency to change or invest or break the patterns that have gotten you there. I get it. It doesn't feel natural when it's working to take a 360 or make a hard turn. But that's exactly the passion I come here today with, which is the following. I believe that everybody in this room is in the media business. I genuinely believe that everybody here needs to become the B2B magazine of their industry. That everybody here needs to put out content on Facebook and LinkedIn especially on a daily basis. I also believe that 99% of you don't agree with me and I genuinely believe that. I understand that. I, I, I see it every day, I get it, but to me, the B2B sector with service providers is exactly the place where the opportunity lies. Let me explain. 
my career is growing rapidly on one very basic thesis. I give away all my content for free. Everything that I know, everything that's working for me, I put out on YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn and my email every day for free. There is no mastermind, there's no island that I want you to come to and pay me $50,000. There's no $900 ebook, there's no funnel, there's nothing. There's my content, it comes out. Once every two years, I put out a book, it's like 13 bucks on Amazon and we call it a day. There's a couple things that most people don't understand about this thesis. Number one, 99% of people don't do anything with the information. Fundamentally, the most fascinating thing to me about humans is it's more fun to complain than do, right? Or it's more fun to paint a narrative in your mind than do. A lot of you in this room who fear monger technology love what's going on right now with Facebook. You are thrilled that Mark Zuckerberg is testifying right now in front of Congress. You know why? Because you're lazy. You love it because you don't want to take the time to spend 100 or 200 hours to figure out how to sell stuff and get clients through Facebook because it's hard. And so you've made a romantic point of view because your children or grandchildren didn't talk to you and are looking at the phone. You've started the subtle path to fear-mongering technology. And I think that's awesome because for me on the other side, I want you to continue to hate it because Facebook is simple. It's a marketplace. If I'm, look, if you're trying to reach the decision maker at a retail organization, that guy or gal is also the same person that I want to reach to sell a bottle of wine or a book to. And that space in his and her Facebook feed is only one space. So that is supply and demand. I used to buy that space four years ago for a dollar for every thousand impressions. Now it's seven. The longer you think this world doesn't exist and you fear monger it, the longer you don't put money in, the longer I can extract all the value. I've lived this game. I'm not a hero because I took it from three to 50 million, 60 million in my dad's business. I actually am a schmuck. I should have spent more on Google. I had it figured out. Every time you typed in Cabernet, Merlot, Silver Oak, Camus, Napa, Bordeaux, I was showing up first because nobody realized it was good real estate and it was only costing me five or 10 cents a click and I was making between seven and $80 in profit for something that was costing me $3 to get you through the funnel on the average of 60 people coming and one converting. I was stupid, I'm being serious with you. I stand here and have passion about LinkedIn and Facebook marketing in a B2B environment today out of regret for what I did from 2002 to 2005 because I should have spent more. It was basic math, but I just didn't understand because I was young in my career and it just, I don't even know how to explain it to you. When it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true, right? I'm an immigrant, I was cynical, I just didn't, plus I also thought it was important to do direct mail and local commercials and magazine, I was doing it all. But in hindsight, it was the great mistake of my career. The great mistake of my career was not spending more money on Google and I promise you, the great mistake of your accelerated growth for the 80% that just raised their hand is not taking advertising on LinkedIn and Facebook seriously because you don't think your person is on it. I've heard every, guys, I've been doing this for 10 years. 
I know what your excuse is gonna be. I can't wait to the q and I'm gonna stand here and wonder, but Gary, my, my target person is a 63-year-old man. He's not on it. Bullshit. Of course he's on it. Who do you think is spreading all the Democratic and Republican propaganda on Facebook? <laughs> Literally, this is my life, guys. I go to meetings every day with the biggest CEOs of the world, you know, the Pepsis and the Chases, big companies, CMO CEOs, and literally they scold me for the first 30 minutes that Facebook is ruining our democracy because, you know, they know I've been an advocate of this for a decade. Literally, this has now happened three times in the last 100 days. I go to have breakfast, it's a one hour breakfast, we're there to talk business, but for the first 20 to 40 minutes, it gets completely sidetracked because that individual wants to scold me. Gary, you don't understand, Facebook and Twitter is tearing down the American democracy. And then we spend the last 20 minutes and they explain to me that Facebook is not effective in selling lipstick. And I sit there and I say, do you just realize that you just told me this platform is powerful enough to tear down the most powerful institution in society, but then literally on the other side of your mouth, you told me that it doesn't sell your product and that TV is better. Watch this, let's all agree, this audience is not filled with 13-year-old teenage girls, right? This is a, we're old, right, we're old, right? Watch this, by show of hands, how many people here now mainly watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or what is called an OTT, HBO on the go, mainly those platforms, raise your hands. Actually, please stand up, please, I I mean it. I apologize, I know you're lazy, but stand up. I want people to see this. I want people, if you may, do not sit down yet, and honestly, if you mainly watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or YouTube, guys, I I just need everybody to look around. I have clients that are spending 80 billion, Babin, get up here. Get up here, I wanna make sure all, this is my vlog, you'll be on YouTube shortly. Just, <laughs> so vlog, real quick. These are old people, right? <laughs> I mean this is 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. Look around, literally, Jesus, 87% of this audience doesn't even have the chance to consume a commercial. And the 13% that are sitting that watch network, when a commercial goes on, they grab this. $80 billion spent on commercials in America and nobody, and I mean nobody, is watching. Cool, thank you. Thank you. It is true. And what's scary about that, and, and here's my thing, it is true. And you know what else is true? the tens of billions of dollars that are spent on banner ads and digital, nobody's clicking and looking at either. This is not an argument about new or old, this is an argument about common sense. And common sense and data are very obvious on this. Everybody here can sell a lot more stuff if they take the 100 hours to learn how to do written words, pictures, and videos on Facebook and LinkedIn, and it will fundamentally change your business because the other 99% of people in here aren't gonna do it. That's it. Literally, if I wasn't contractually obligated, I would leave right now. (laughs) Like, literally, literally, that's the punchline, my friends. What, What, you know, my career, 
picking it back up on the recall. So cool, I'm building the business. And then YouTube comes out. YouTube is like 100 days old, I see it. I go, geez, I think this is gonna be big. And in February of 2006, before YouTube was even one years old, I started a wine show on YouTube. It was called Wine Library TV. I sat in front of a camera, I had four bottles of wine, and I drank them for 20 minutes. (laughs) It was the best gig I ever had. But something very interesting happened. In episode one, and you can go and see it on YouTube now, episode one of Wine Library TV, when I started Wine Library TV, when I asked one of my stock guys to run out to Best Buy to buy a camera to do the episode, I thought I was on the verge of starting QVC. My intent was the camera would be on and I would take some wines we had in the store and I would sell them. I'm a salesman, I'm in business, right? The light goes on and literally, and it's funny, I looked at this the other day, I can see it in my, I know, you know, you know yourself, I can see where I realize, oh crap, this is gonna be on the internet forever and if I actually don't love this wine, it's probably a bad idea for me to say it's good. <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, you know, how your brain can think while you're doing something else. Literally as I'm doing the episode, I'm thinking about this scenario where somebody comes up to me in a function like this and hands me a glass of wine and says, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, it's crap. And they go, aha, you know, you said it was awesome. Like, and then Dateline showed up and like, why'd you say that? I was like, uh. So, <laughs> So, right there in episode one, I started kind of actually giving my opinions. Luckily, the first episode was this really $200 wine and they were great, but something very weird happened. I started reviewing wine on my show that we sold, that I had relationships with, people that took me into their home in Napa Valley, and I would tell you, the American public, that this wine sucked, that it was off-balanced, that it didn't work, and it caused a real brouhaha in 2006 and seven in my industry, but it taught me something incredibly important. Number one, first of all, content sells just as much as advertising. That was extremely new for me and probably anybody a decade ago. I couldn't believe that this was a show that I was putting out for free, that was distributed for free, that had no hook, nothing, but people would see me talk about Valpolicella in the episode, go to the website and buy a different Valpolicella or what have you. It was super fascinating. Number two, I just knew that authenticity mattered and that transparency was coming and a lot of what we see with privacy now just was an inevitable future. But then my career took its biggest turn. I wake up one morning and Google buys YouTube for $1.7 billion. And I read the article in the Wall Street Journal and it speaks about this gentleman who made a ton of money on a $25,000 angel investment into Google. He made like 10 million bucks and I said, what is that? And so, actually it's really funny to tell you this story. Literally yesterday, I was in the Wall Street Journal, they have a section now, your best and worst investment. I told my best, which is Facebook. Um, But Google sells and I realize this talent I have of understanding consumers and what they're gonna do, email, e-commerce, you know, Google AdWords, YouTube, I don't need to use just for selling more wine, I need to figure out how to do this bigger. I'm an angel investor now, which I didn't really understand what it meant, but I Googled it and I learned. And within the next 12 months, I made my first three investments and that was Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. So a couple things. I'm rich. (laughs) Two, I watched from coast to coast something that everybody believed was small and didn't matter 
to go and become the thing that we most fear. Literally, I, in the last decade, have lived a life advocating for a platform that went from, this is not a big deal, only my kids use this in college, to literally it being on the verge of having to be regulated by the government because it has too much power. That's black and white. And so did all of you. All of you, from the day you heard about Facebook to today, have watched it go from some silly thing that either you or your younger siblings or your kids, what, who cares, means nothing, to the CEOs testifying, and we're talking about the biggest. If you think that that platform and LinkedIn, and I'll go back to that in a minute, do not have the ability to affect your business, you are not thinking big enough. You're thinking basic. You're making the judgment on the one guy or gal you call on. You, you, know, look, you know what you're doing? You're making the judgment on a focus group of one. You call on Stan at this retail organization and Stan's 67 and he still has a piece of shit flip phone. (laughs) Right? What you don't realize is that Stan makes decisions in a million different ways including the four people that report to Stan who happen to be 37 and 42 who live on these platforms who have a ton of influence on Stan's final decision or a million other things that can happen. So, For me, the punchline is very simple. We are living through the greatest shift of attention that the human race has gone through since the printing press. I'm a historian. In my aforementioned report card, if you go to Instagram after this talk and look at it, you'll see F's everywhere, D's everywhere. I got four A's in my entire career, all in gym. (laughs) And then you'll notice a couple of B's and they're all in history. And they're in history because history always tells me the future. Everything I believe in right now is based on my learnings and education around what happened in America when we transitioned from the radio to the television. The biggest companies, the biggest wealth was created in that transition because our attention shifted from sitting in the living room and listening to TV. Boxing and horse racing and baseball are number one in America because that platform of audio was great for it. Football and basketball emerge in the TV era. Very basic, very easy to understand. John F. Kennedy loses the debate on the radio, wins it on television, right? My friends, history will tell you the future. And let me promise you this fact, if you leave with anything in this talk, these platforms are affecting your business dramatically more than you realize. In the hidden, I don't believe, because I did a lot of homework, that you're losing the business to somebody else because they're effectively outmarketing you on Facebook and LinkedIn. I believe that you could be effectively outmarketing somebody and you're leaving the delta. You know what's better than growing 18%? Growing 50%. And this is leaving money and opportunity on the table because you haven't made the mental and strategic decision. Guys, do you know how many vendors give me stuff for free? Or offer it for free or highly discount it? All day, all day because I produce content. Like my refrigeration, my, like like we just built out a 50,000 square foot studio in Long Island City and people, I've gotten so much awareness now with my content that people are not only offering me the kitchen supplies and the HVAC and the painting and the wall, not only are they offering it for free, I've got companies offering to pay me to give me the stuff for free. (laughs) It's just media, it's just attention. They're not Mother Teresa, they don't like me. 
they like the attention they get from me to who they're trying to reach. If Gary's using this video company, well then I should too. This is very basic. It's very hard to wrap your head around. I come from an immigrant, one store, retail, New Jersey shop, like I get it. I, I, I spend all my time, I mean I get thousands of emails a week from SMBs and mid-market businesses from zero to 50 million. I understand a lot of what I'm talking about is tough to make the connection point on, but I am convinced that nobody here is confused that we are now living in this culture. The literally, literally the only thing that's stopping you is typing in words into YouTube and Google to do the homework on how. I know that people here can make, let's talk about being media versus being a salesperson. I know people here can talk about their product and service as a whole, not specifically their product. They ha How many people here have been in business for 20 years or more in what they do? Raise your hands, raise them. The utter expertise that is sitting in your head of pattern recognition and things to look out for, I mean, do you understand that if you made, how many people here are a vendor trying to get to somebody here and sell their product to? Raise your hands. Just curious, raise them high please. Amazing. Do you understand that for the majority of this room that if you made what is called a slide share, it's a deck, it's owned by LinkedIn, and this is just down the education of understanding what's happening in our world, that if you made a slide of the value of what your thing is, like there's not, I don't know every nook and cranny, but let me give you an example. If you're a window supplier, let's just go there, that comes natural to me. If you're a window supplier, if you made a slide that said the value for retail operations to transition or replace their windows every seven years, if you titled it that, the value, the disproportionate, now I'm doing a little copywriter, the disproportionate ROI of switching out your window fixtures every seven years at retail. If you make that deck, and then in that deck you make 13, 14, 15, pictures, written words, a deck, a presentation that was more as if you were a media company or a B2B magazine, not as a sales pitch. It's just general information. There is no your phone number at the end and if you buy now, nothing, no right hook, just jabs, just content. That if you made the disproportionate ROI of changing out your window fixtures at retail every seven years deck and you put that on LinkedIn and you spent, stick with me here, $1,500 to $2,000 targeting employees of people that are in your funnel, in your market, the people that you're trying to reach, you would be flabbergasted at the conversion rate of those kind of ex executions. I know this because I invest a lot in B2B SaaS businesses and service providers and have made a lot of money in the exits and the going publics of these companies because of the disproportionate nature of their marketing that has been so much more progressive. But if you think I think that that's what's happening back home on a normal day, that people are sitting around and saying, hey, let's start a podcast, or hey, let's make a deck on SlideShare and run ads on LinkedIn, I'm aware that we're in a sales-driven, relationship-shake-your-hand-driven business, I get it. That's exactly why what I'm talking about matters. It's where the delta sits. When everybody's doing the same thing, there's only so much value in that execution. 
When you're next to your competitor at the booth, when you're at this event, when you're doing the golf outing, when you're buying the ad in the B2B magazine, when you're selling direct mail, when you have a sales team, it's all the same stuff. Becomes disproportionately commoditized over time. And as you know, it becomes a race to the bottom on the dollars. So I think it's an incredible time to become a practitioner. Look, a lot of you have huge opinions. A lot of headline readers in this room about how this marketing works A lot of people here have opinions on how Facebook works for your business, yet you've never run a single Facebook ad in your life. A lot of you have a ton of opinions on how Facebook works for your business, yet you don't even have a Facebook account. So a lot of opinions that lack the reality, but I will tell you this, the people in this room who wrap their head around what I'm talking about, and I'll, I'm gonna take it down a notch. I'm gonna take it down a notch to bring value to this room. I believe everybody in this room, how many people here have a business that's doing over a million dollars a year? Raise your hand. That every person that just raised their hands should hire somebody for forty dollars to $50,000 a year to produce content and distribute it on LinkedIn and Facebook for their business for one year just to see what it feels like. Here's the scary part when I hear that. If you hire blindly, like you know what you're gonna do. Oh yeah, maybe I should hire my niece. She's 23. (laughs) If you do the cliche thing of hiring a young person who uses social media to hook up, not to sell crap, and you know nothing about it, you won't know how to judge it, thus you become vulnerable. So before you hire, the person for 40 to 60,000 a year to do this and try it for one year because if your business is doing over a million a year and it's 2018 and you live in our society, you're smart enough to realize that risk is worth it because even if you sell nothing, it's good to check the box and know it doesn't work. It's an ROI positive event if it doesn't work. It keeps you from debating if there's any truth in my conversation. You yourself as the manager, C-suite or owner have to become educated in this. And let me say another thing. This is just life. You have the benefit of being in business and being in an event like this. Please, for your own self, I just have something that you need to wrap your head around. This technology thing, it's not going back. Like, you do understand everything, like, you do understand that this is, this computer in my pocket that I'm holding up right now is more powerful than the computer that Ronald Reagan had to run the free world. You do understand that. You also do understand that this computer that's more powerful than what Ronald Reagan had to run the free world is gonna look like a pager in a decade. How many people here are retiring in the next 10 years? And I don't mean you're gonna crush it and then, you know, buy an island. I mean, you're just really old and you need to retire. (laughs) How many people, by show of hands, retiring in the next 10 years? All right, let's first clap it up because that's the most hands I've ever seen. This is the oldest event ever. For the 95% of you that did not raise your hand, you will be a operator in business in a decade and if you don't know what I'm talking about right now with LinkedIn and Facebook, you are in deep shit when it comes to machine learning, AR, crypto, blockchain, there's a million things coming. That is like you running the Boston Marathon tomorrow, yet you've done nothing to prepare. 
please, please, I know we're having fun, it's lighthearted, we're laughing, this is awesome, I'm enjoying it, I don't, I don't even wanna get to the q and I wanna just keep doing my Chris Rock thing up here, but, but please, let's take a quick step back and understand how big the stakes are. I spoke at the 2012 or 11 taxi and limo convention. I was an early investor in Uber. I walked on stage and said, listen to me. Yes, I have a lot to gain for Uber success, but I'm looking at human beings and it's not fun to think about what the ramifications of that is. I've already made enough money, I don't need to. I called my dad's friends in LA who owned black car services. Anybody ever live in LA or live in LA? A couple of people, so you may know in the late 70s when my you know, family and friends immigrated to the US, we went to New York and LA and all the Russian guys originally rode cabs and then they eventually owned all the black car services. I called when Uber started gaining tra- traction in San Francisco, I called AKA, when they came and visited, we had me, I had talked to my dad's friend, Madik, and Nikolai, and Vladimir, and all these freaking cliche Russian names. <laughs> and I said to them, listen to me, this is a problem. And they looked at me and they laughed, and here's why they laughed. They came to this country with $4. And over the course of 30 years, they pulled themselves up from nothing to owning these multi-million dollar businesses. And they were 62 and 57 and like in that place and they laughed at me and I said, you know, I literally can hear in my ear, okay, okay, in heavy Russian accent, you know, but English, which was interesting because they don't think I can speak Russian well enough, which is very disrespectful. Nonetheless, (laughs) they go, okay, one more time, you're saying that they're gonna take the phone, hit a button and the limo's gonna, and they literally laughed at me and drank eight more liters of vodka. Here's where it doesn't get funny, because it's real life. 36 months later, those three core gentlemen that I'm thinking about's businesses were worth a dime on the dollar that they were worth three years earlier. Uber collapsed their business. It wasn't pretty, it was carnage. Technology is gonna eat everything. I don't know your businesses well enough to know where that plays in, but this is basic. This is the biggest force in our society, and we need to ride that wave, not have it crush us, period. You have to figure out how to make technology your teammate, not your rival. You can't fear monger it, and you can't put your head in the sand. You're gonna be hearing about robots that are gonna kill us, which is gonna be true, so good news. (laughs) We're fairly old, we'll probably miss it, but our kids are finished. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And so, please wrap your head around how big this is, and please start going to the two biggest search engines in the world. I don't know how you learn. Either Google and read, how do I use Facebook to sell HVAC units to retail establishments, enter. Or you may learn like me, because I'm not good at reading. Go to YouTube, the number two search engine in the world. How do I sell HVAC units to retail, enter, and watch a video. Listen while you run, read, I don't care how you consume content, but If one of you, if one of you heed my advice this morning and get to action, if 10 of you who were poo-pooing this whole thing this morning when you got your Starbucks are listening to a businessman, not a futurist, not an author, not a student, somebody who makes money, 
somebody who helps other people make money, businessman, if you hear me loud and clear, if you do something about it, we've accomplished what I was hoping to this morning. I wish you health and I appreciate your time. Thank you. So we have a few minutes for questions. We have two floor mics. Do we have any questions from the floor? And please, on the questions, if you want to do this, I did an audit of a lot of the businesses here. Nobody's doing this well, so you won't embarrass yourself. Please ask a very basic 101 question if you want. Is someone coming up to the mics? Okay, great. Matthew? Good afternoon. Hey, brother. What's your name? Uh, Matthew Whalen. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Uh, What's your feelings on releasing duplication of content at the same time on multiple platforms or kind of spacing it out and kind of moving it in different directions, you know? I'm not worried about the spacing out because somebody might be on LinkedIn, somebody might be on Instagram, somebody might be on YouTube. I'm worried about the context. Okay. The same picture to the same person acts differently on Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter because your psychology is different. The average 47-year-old female in this room, when she's on Pinterest, she's in an aspiration to buy buying, window shopping. When she's on Facebook, she's keeping up with her world. She's in a different mindset. So your content has to have different words or different angles to it. People distribute across all of them for efficiency because they think of it as direct mail and things of that nature, but they're underestimating the psychology of the person when they're consuming it. So you'll see on my Twitter, Facebook, and you know Instagram similar stuff, but you'll notice that the copy that associates with it is very different, and yep. that's what I have to do with it, including when you're writing something about, hey, do you, like I put out a lot of stuff of like, I just don't understand why people hate their job, meaning we just spend way too much time at work, and I know you have to put a roof over your head, but my big thing is like sell your house or live more humbly and get a job that pays less because being miserable 63% of your time is a bad strategy, period. When I put out that content on Sunday night and Monday morning and Friday afternoon, it does 30,000 times better because that's when you're in that mindset. And so, you know, a a big one for B2B, I love pounding the day after Labor Day. Literally the Tuesday to Friday after Labor Day is some of the places where I make the most money because business people feel the tension of being checked out in August and they feel like they have to move quickly and make some decisions. Psychology matters, my friend. Okay, awesome, thank you. Awesome, thanks Matthew. Hi, Troy Batchelor. Troy? Troy, right. Uh, How do you see the uh, transition of voice in this space, uh, like Alexa and Google Home and all that, playing into the content uh, marketing? Um, So it's no question the place that I'm most bullish. I've stopped investing for the last three years because after making a lot of money in investing, as you guys know, everybody now has a startup. and, And just like, I was tired of meeting every person who's got the, I'm the, I'm the Uber of donuts. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, you know, like, so, but I'm gonna get back into investing again because all the apps that are gonna be built on top of Alexa are the next Spotify, Instagram, ways. I think it's gonna change our lives. I think you're gonna be stunned how quickly you're gonna have an Alexa or Google Home or Apple Pod in your bedroom, in your bathroom. It's, You guys have to understand, the reason there are 60 year old men in here texting, right, is because it's faster. No matter how much we hate technology or fear it, speed is something we are addicted to. Do you know why you don't care about privacy? Because you're willing to give it up for speed. 
It's, it's, it's a tough thing for humans to grapple with, but it's how we act. It's faster for me to say, Alexa, what's my Tuesday look like? Or order bananas, or you know, help me get that vendor. I mean, I think it's a huge, huge deal, but it's extremely early. I think of it as like when we were first discovering land, right? You come over, like there's the people that see the berry bush and you know, they don't know if it's poison or not and you know, the guy goes, eat it, and they're like, oh shit, and uh, they die. You know? <laughs> and the next one's like, oh delicious, raspberries. You know, that's what's gonna happen on Alexa over the next three to four years. There's a lot of people that are gonna spend time and money and lose, but then there's gonna pe- be people that buy all of Manhattan for a dollar. Um, but the content you see transitioning over into voice as well. I think humans have consumed content in written word, pictures, videos, and audio forever, and that will continue to change, and there's ebbs and flows. To me, before anybody here thinks about what their Alexa strategy is, I would say, much like I elevated and went from selling wine to becoming America's wine guy, can you go from selling whatever the hell you sell to being the B2B leader of thinking around that genre? I think everybody here needs a weekly or monthly podcast. That's, you have to understand, B2B is the best. Your stinking podcast can have 88 listeners, but that can have a $5 million impact. So I think I'm obsessed with voice. I would argue everybody here should be thinking about producing a podcast first. There's, a, there's an app, I'm not an investor, but I push it a lot so people think that's why I'm hedging. It's called anchor.fm, anchor.fm. Literally you can record your podcast on your phone, hit one button and it distributes, it does everything for you. You should look into it if you're debating this. Right, thank you. You got awesome. it. Sir. Okay. Hi. So we have, oh. we're, we're here. I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Good morning. I, I'm Evan Piper from the Piper Companies, and there's, I want to just take a little bit of a different Please. twist. What, one thing that happened this morning Please. that really kind of blew me away is um, I, I've been in my own business for a long, long time. After that, I've kind of had a little bit of a path like yours where I became a speaker and trainer as well. Understood. When, the first question you asked is, does anybody here know me? <laughs> and I was blown away by how many people didn't have any idea of who you were. Right. In, in my world, you know, the way that I stay on the top of things in speaking and training is by following people like you. I'm going to see you yep. and Tony in yep. Fort Lauderdale yep. next month. And yep. so I stay on top of all that. Mm-hmm. And to me, I see such a great importance in personal and professional development. So forget about the, all this Understood. tech stuff for the moment. Mindset. I, want, I want to know if you can just give us something yep. to take away that I think would be incredible on that, how important that really is to every single person here. My, I appreciate it. My big thing is that's a funny area for me, right? Like I think personal development and, and motivation can get really blurry and huckstery. At the same token, I genuinely believe that optimism and offense is the only option, right? So for me, I, you know, I, I think the one thing that I would say to everybody is I don't understand the ROI of fear dwelling or complaining, right? I, I just, I can't figure it out. The only people listening to your problems are other losers. <laughs> I, I mean it. Right now, if you think you're complaining or it, you, it comes natural to you, just think for 40 seconds who the person that you talk to the most about it. It's your miserable mom. It's, it's your sister. It's, Always that, so I highly recommend, I'm a big believer 
in the auditing your circle and really thinking about who you're spending time with, I just wanna remind everybody, you find what you're looking for. My friends, it's very easy right now to find negativity. The problem is it's equally easy to find positivity, right? Mainstream media is making a lot of money selling fear and negativity. Let me just, and I see time is up and I'll, you, you can email me at Gary at VaynerMedia or DM me on Instagram for the four of you. Let me just say one thing that I'm completely fascinated by. And this is not political, this is just life. I can't stop thinking about how easy it is for somebody that wants to inflict harm to get into a car and drive into people. It's the easiest move of all time. There is no stopping anybody ever for getting into a car and driving into a crowded area. It is unstoppable. Just, I just want everybody to actually understand that. I then think, why the hell does that not happen in every major city every single day? I'm a data guy, even though I'm not. And I'm an actions guy. And so I just think, listen, the math is on our side. This is the greatest era of all time. For everything that you're complaining about, right? Taxes, race, me too, all sorts of stuff that we need to address. And I'm happy that we're addressing it and we're only addressing it because of the internet. I hope everybody understands that. The only reason me too and all the good stuff that's happening in our society is happening is because three old white guys don't control the media anymore. I just want everybody to wrap their head around that. Number two, the data's on our side. You know what's worse than like unemployment or this and that? The black plague, the black plague is worse. Right, like our grandparents and our great, like do you understand the things we complain about? Like my Uber is just missed me and is going around the block again, or, 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 oh you son of a bitch, I ordered almond milk, not soy milk at Starbucks. Like, like I don't know about you guys, but I live life listening, I travel a lot, I listen, like the stuff we complain about or we think is bad, would literally make our great-great-grandfather slice our throats. (laughs) It is time that we put what's happening right now in perspective. This is the greatest era to ever be alive because of modern medicine and the macro of where we live. And my thought on this is, if you listened to everything I talked about for the last hour, if you think that's bad, you were on defense in your life. And if you think it's phenomenal, you're on offense and you need to make a decision because you're either on offense or defense. Do not trick yourself into thinking you're in the middle. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll we'll do one one last question and then for the three other individuals, Gary, you'll you'll be able to. DM me on Instagram, Gary VEE. I'll answer them. We'll get it. So one last question and then we'll wrap. Hi, Sharon Milton with Brighter Image. How are you? So, I'm good, how are you? Good. So my question is, if you're new into having pages on Facebook and yes. LinkedIn, yes. how do you build followers? Content, hashtags, you know, collaborations, and the best part of all, spending money on ads. It's so funny, people put organic growth on a pedestal, why? If the advertising's underpriced, why not take advantage of it? So. I'll go through it slowly one more time because I want people to win. Every time you post something, at this point I think everybody knows what a hashtag is. If you add hashtags, that's a discoverability on these platforms, right? Instagram and Twitter use it more, LinkedIn and Facebook use it less, but they still work, right? Collaborations, inviting, you know the reason, if you, how many people here listen to podcasts? 
Right, so if you notice, look very careful. A lot of the biggest podcasts have guests. Why? Because they use the guest star power to build audience. The thing I'm probably most proud of is I don't have guests. You know, like I've built just through the content. But collaborations, bringing people on to co-author or interview them, think about what your audience wants. It's empathy. Empathy is the secret to all of this. If you actually care about the audience instead of your own following count and your business, you'll get what you actually want. Make sense? Yes, it does. Uh, but, but no question for this industry, the ads. The ads are underpriced. I don't know what else to tell you. You can target individuals you're looking for, locations you're looking for. Again, all this hysteria of Cambridge Analytica is because it works. It works, so the ads. And, and then again, it's Google. How do I run LinkedIn ad? I mean, it's all there. The reason I don't talk, I don't have a whiteboard or slides is the blocking and tackling is free on Google. The reason I spent my time on the talk is you're not gonna block and tackle until you understand the strategic and philosophical reason this is happening and what the white space is. That is, if you wanna understand what I just did, I gotta get you to actually understand this is real, for real, for real, for real, not ha ha ha. Then you can, I mean this guy's on his phone right now. He literally can go to Google, type in, right? Just, just so you know, I just watch you, I'm pumped. I'm like, he's hustling, forget what I'm doing. The information, the information is on the internet. It costs zero dollars and zero cents. The thing that's stopping people is fear, lack of education, and ideology. All three bad ideas when it comes to business. Awesome. Let's give it up for Gary Vee. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Podcast, what's up everybody? Good morning, good afternoon. Hope your run is going well. Hope your dog didn't take too big of a shit because I know so many of you listen to this podcast while walking the dog. Uh, real quick, VoiceCon, May 22nd, New York City, GaryVee.com slash VoiceCon Pod, P-O-D, GaryVee.com slash VoiceCon Pod, P-O-D, all one word. Go to that URL from here. Uh, we are throwing the most important voice conference of the year, uh, the most important voice conference going forward. If you've been watching or listening to any of my content, you know I'm obsessed with voice. Listen, I made my money on email and Google AdWords, then I made my money on social. I'm completely convinced that voice is the next frontier and for all of you that are asking me what's next, what's the next big startup, is it Snapchat, what's the next thing? The next thing is voice. Building apps on top of Alexa and on top of Google Home or understanding how podcasts and voice works, this is the event. Get your tickets now, garyvee.com slash voicecon pod.